Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, top supply chain industry professionals and the nation's top thought leaders join host Brian Strait and share their unique insights to help supply chain managers stay one step ahead of their competition. This is Talking Supply Chain. Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. My name is Brian Strait and I'll be your host for today's episode. Today we are digging into a technology that seems all the rage these days and ask the question, what if we are thinking about it in the wrong way? I'm talking about digital twins. Our guest today is here to explain why we may be approaching digital twins and the usage of them in the wrong way and why your business may not be getting the benefits you think you are getting from them. Don Hicks is CEO and founder of OptiLogic. I'll let him tell you a little bit more about his company in a moment, but I'd like to tell you a little bit about Don, which I found fascinating um, and why I think he's the right choice to talk about this digital twin technology. Prior to founding OptiLogic, Don founded a company that many of you may have heard of called Llamasoft. It was a supply chain modeling, optimization, and analytics solution provider back in 1998 that he ended up selling for $1.5 billion. So obviously a very successful company. Um, he also founded another company that many people may know of. Um, it's a biotech software company called DNA Software. And then he went on to establish SaganWorks, which was a tech firm focused on 3D immersive experiences that's commonly used in museums, galleries, and some other industries as well. A graduate of the US Military Academy at West Point, Don has spent most of his career in technology and has seen and even led some of the cutting edge tech, cutting edge changes that have influenced industry as evidenced by some of his former companies. Don, it's a pleasure to talk with you today. Um, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me today. Um, you got a very cool background and, and probably a lot of interesting stories that you can tell um, from your days in, in industry and starting businesses. And and someday maybe we'll get to that. I'd love to get to that someday because I, I think there's probably some great stories there. Um, but I, I want to focus today on your current venture. So why don't to get started, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about OptiLogic and what you guys do? Sure thing. Uh, one quick uh, correction to the record. I, I didn't actually co-found DNA Software. I was there at the at the mists at the beginning of time when they started that ah. But um, the the two gentlemen that started it, I need to tip my hat to those guys because they started it, and then uh, and then when they needed work done, they got me in there. <laughs> well, so the man who gets the stuff gets stuff done, then, right? So yeah, yeah, kind of the fixture cleaner. Well, they you know they they needed somebody who knew something about modeling software and leading teams, and that's kind of been my thing for my whole career. Yeah. So uh, yeah. and that that continues all the way to OptiLogic. And uh, thanks for asking about that. I can give you a quick description of it. Um, Great. So, you know, I consider operations research to be kind of the, the, the fundamental, uh, my fundamental metier. And, and uh, um, I love operations research. We use math and math models to try to improve the world by being smarter, making better decisions, you know, across everything, supply chain being one application area. Um, and uh, after I uh, had our, our successful uh, exit from Lamasoft, um, I found that I couldn't stay away from OR. So I started OptiLogic to provide a platform very generically for development and deployment of custom models and engines. So kind of a, a middleware to sit between all that data and, uh, what, and, and using it to solve problems. And we didn't have a, a good general cloud-based app for that. So I got going and, and we were having a lot of fun. Um, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't supposed to be a, a great business. It was supposed to be, um, a pursuit of passion for sure. And, uh, what happened with that one was uh, as, as what happens when you pursue your passion, 
uh, we made really great technology. And uh, it was a beautiful toolkit, kind of looking for nails and problems to solve. And um, what happened in the meantime was that uh, the good folks who had, uh, who had purchased Llamasoft, and I actually personally uh, exited when a private equity company called TPG uh, purchased the controlling stake in Llamasoft. And when they came in, that was my sign to, to hit the road. And when TPG flipped it to Coupa for that billion and a half uh, later, Coupa proceeded to um, more or less completely mess it up, destroy it, squeeze the value. They got rid of all these people. It was, it was people running for the exits. It's, it's really a horrifying story in the industry that it's worth, uh, worth another podcast at some point. Uh, but as I was watching the destruction from afar, what I noticed was that there was a lot of great supply chain talent that was here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I'm at, suddenly available. And, you know, it's not the tech, it's the people that are the hardest, hardest thing to find and the hardest, uh, the hardest challenge is to get great people, get them locked in, settled in where they can work together. And I saw this exodus of supply chain talent out of, uh, um, out of the Coupa division. And I said, I, this, is, I, this is too good. These guys are, are too amazing. So I hired a bunch of these guys into OptiLogic, not really knowing what the heck we were going to do with them. And, and this is true. I mean, and so these guys started joining me and we started looking at, well, why don't we put supply chain and manufacturing oriented models on our OptiLogic, and it's called Atlas, the Atlas platform. Um, and so we started doing that. And, and after, after a while, we saw that, that, uh, Coupa was never, and, and there, the Coupa's Llamasoft, what used to be uh, Llamasoft, was never going to come back from the grave. It was, it was dead and, and, you know, it was walking dead, basically. It was a zombie roaming the earth looking for brains. And um, we made the decision at that point that we should build, potentially take all this talent and build a supply chain design specific application to sit on top of our Atlas platform. So... We started generically, and then we, given the opportunity and the talent, decided to go in the direction of making a great platform to do supply chain design. And that's exactly what we did. And some time later, we launched uh, our, our application called Cosmic Frog. And of course, it would be Cosmic Frog, because that's the thing that the people Lamasoft, who would have invented something called Lamasoft would call their platform, Cosmic Frog. <laughs> uh, it's also got other stories, which we can save for other, other podcasts. Um, so when we launched Cosmic Frog last November, um, we basically were trying to make the world's best supply chain design platform. So supply chain design itself is the field that is involved with taking a look at the supply chain you have and then envisioning and modeling on out what's the supply chain I could have or that I need. And it's a theoretical supply chain. If you already have that supply chain, then you know you're trying to make the best of it, and we call that planning. But if you need to change the supply chain in fundamental ways, and you need to sort that out in silico, and you know using math models and using computer models, we would call that activity design. We're in the area of changing from as is to to be. And if you're going to do that, it's a really good idea to test that stuff out in in a computer model before you run it, run it on out there. And um, OptiLogic successfully launched our platform. We've been picking up a lot of great customers, uh, Coupa refugees fleeing the carnage. And um, it's been going really great. 
And I think that brings me over over here to to talk with you about digital twins. Yeah. So and and to get to that and, and one, I just want to say, you know, you mentioned earlier in 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 that about the passion, right? That you had the passion and. And I think that's so key to successful business and startup, like, you know, the, the founders and, and the early the early employees, these companies, if you don't have the passion for what you're going to do, you just go work for another company that's already established, right? They, 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 they can have the passionless people. You know, when you're, when you're starting a business, you need that passion to make it work. For, for sure. I mean, the, the, the fact is, um, it's a paradox. And uh, on the side note here. The people who, if you get going in a company and you are aiming for the money and the financial success, you, you may get that, but it's not a lot of fun. And, you know, you, how do you motivate and align people around the mission of let's make more money? It, it, what you get is other people who value money. Yeah. And then if you're mission driven, like we are, and this, this is my career, this has been my whole life. It's been 20, over 25 years now I've been working on using optimization and simulation models to help people change their supply chains for the better. And I'm driven by it. Now, the paradox is you get great financial success by being passionate about what you do. And that means you sort of don't care that much about the finance piece. And the more that you grab for the finance brass ring, the less you're driven by passion, the less likely you're able to, to go get those financial results. So, you know, we're on a path and, and look, we, we want to be financially successful. But we care a lot more about impact and legacy. And I think as a result, that actually increases the likelihood that we're financially success, uh, successful. And we also don't care that much about it. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, li live, live to do what you love to do, right? Um, For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, getting, getting back to the topic at hand, actually, um, and, and this is a great conversation. I love it. Um, the, the digital twin concept yeah. um, and, Digital and, and, and the, the modeling of what you're doing. So um, I've read that you don't really believe that the terminology digital twin is really kind of reflective of what it is, right? That you believe that that terminology is more marketing. Um, so can, can uh, you kind of explain that? Yeah, no, I, I like to be curmudgeonly and argumentative. I've been at the industry long enough that I get to be cranky and <laughs> I consider my response to digital twins to be some amount of crankiness and, and some amount of alarm at, um, at how it's come about. I have no problem using descriptive words to try to capture the, uh, the capture a concept and get people a flavor for it. Um, but, uh, you know, if you think about what is a twin, a twin is a replica. And in fact, if you look at the most of the definitions of what a digital twin is, they talk about a digital twin is a digital in silico replica of the physical supply chain. But is it? Is it a replica? Do you have all the data in this? Can you, is it, is it indifferentiable, like a true twin? Or is it some kind of Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox with missing blocks of data where you skipped the middle part and a bunch of stuff is fuzzy and you can't read it and they're still missing data? I would submit that, that what we call a digital twin is a nice collection of cross-functional supply chain data that suggests a, a some view into or a snapshot of the data that represents the supply chain that's out there. It's like uh, it's like the movie, uh, the old Monty Python movie, Camelot. You know, these guys go galloping over banging coconuts together and they say, Camelot, Camelot. And the guy looks and says, it's only a model. <laughs> and and this is my problem yeah. with the, the marketing industry around digital twinning. And that is, 
the term digital twin, I believe, makes people dumber and more apt to make wrong decisions. They're more apt to misunderstand the technology by calling it a digital twin. If you're the VP of supply chain, chief supply chain officer, or C-level guy or gal, you're when someone says a digital twin, you're like, oh, you can do that? You can make a complete copy of my entire supply chain? That sounds great. Then I can use it for all kinds of things in the future. I don't know what questions I'm going to ask it, but I've got a twin and I can just poke the twin and figure it out and, and see what's going on. Yeah. But that's wrong. The digital twin technologies that are out there are basically the, the it, these have been around for a long time, trying to collect up supply chain data in one place so you can have a live snapshot of what's going on so you can potentially do something about it. This is a great idea. It's been around a long time, but it's not a twin. It, it really isn't. I don't know if you've seen the, the movie Twins uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny yeah. DeVito. Danny DeVito's not a perfect twin of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you got all yeah. these people assuming that that's kind of the same thing. And the, the supply chain people who are using the term digital twin to try to sell C-level people, they're doing it not to make C-level people smarter. They're doing it to hopefully kind of spin it so that they can get the sale and move on. And I think that is unconscionable. Basically, it's bullshit. I, you know, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, so I, probably if you want to be more accurate, the terminology here probably should be a fraternal digital twin. <laughs> right? a, a fraternal partial clone reconstruction <laughs> that's missing about 40% of the chromosomes. Yeah. You know, there's, there's this, your digital twin has as much in common with your supply chain as you have in, some, in common with a, a cell of yeast. <laughs> It's like 95% genetic content, right? For, for yeast, it's actually much less than that. But it's still, you got a lot more in common with yeast than you do in bacteria. Yep. And um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm being cranky about this for a specific reason. I, I really like the direction of trying to consolidate and put all of the relevant supply chain data in one place and making it live. That's been around as a dream for a long time. People trying to stream current state data and put it in one place where you can presumably do something with it. But a digital twin doesn't, um, it doesn't imply better decision-making. It, it implies current data and more complete data than you might've had going to different systems. You know, and so and, and and I think to be clear here, we're not saying that the process of what a digital twin is supposed to do is wrong, right? I mean, as you're saying, you know, this has been this kind of a approach has been around for years, right? We just didn't call it this. That's right. Um, it's, kind of it's, so th this is not a bad thing. It's just the ter we're talking about the terminology here is not particularly um, correct and accurate. The people in this industry, if especially if you're out to sell something. The, the onus is on you to try to educate and make sure you're not misleading executives. And it's, it may surprise you to, to hear that the world is awash in propaganda, misinformation, and disinformation. And supply chain people can't afford to do that because we're in the business of actually moving stuff around. We, we live in the real physical world. The digital twin as a concept is fine, but implying, as I've as I, hear from time to time and read that, oh, we can just ask our digital twin and it'll tell us what to do. Well, no, it's not going to do that. <laughs> a yep. digital twin is the data. 
And, and what it does give you is a, is a fighting shot at improving some of your decision-making afterward. Now, I want to really make a clear difference. It comes back to what OptiLogic does and what it doesn't do, but also for everybody else that's in the industry. When I've got a digital twin, it's a twin of a current system, my supply chain right now. And I can use that data to make decisions about what to do. The twin isn't going to make decisions. The twin is data. It's a platform, a database, and I don't mean database one word, but a data, a base of data that will enable you ideally to drive analytics and predictive models to make decisions about what to do. I call that planning. Supply chain planning can be facilitated. Decision-making can be facilitated if I have more data and it's live. I think that's great. But OptiLogic and, and my career has been focused on something called supply chain design, which is not dealing with the current supply chain, but it deals with the supply chain I'm considering moving to, uh, that I'm going to potentially implement. And so when people say, I, I read somebody who was talking about a digital twin and a digital twin can redesign your, your supply chain. Well, no, it can't. Stop saying that. It's ridiculous. It's bullshit. What it might be able to do is give you a running start at modeling on out a potential future supply chain. That future supply chain doesn't exist today. If it did, you'd be managing it. Instead, a future supply chain is one that might be there. And the, the nature of those changes might be major, such as close a warehouse, open a factory, get out of a market, launch some new products, even down to run different routes or um, use different, different heuristics at how I schedule my facilities. Those are things I don't do today. I sure might like to do it. So let me go into my alternative supply chain design, model it on out and analyze it and see if I think that that system will work well. And, you know, that people say, well, you have a digital twin for design. Well, you don't. Digital twins don't give you designs. Designs can give you a digital twin of a potential future. That's what you need is the data and a, what would it look like if I made these changes? And, and it's so important to, to make this difference. Designing means fundamentally changing your supply chain situation. That's not running it. Most of this industry is focused on planning and execution as it should be. You plan and execute because you got to fly that darn airplane. You got to get it up. You got to fly it. You got to land it. You don't have time to redesign the wing in the middle of it. It's a bad idea. I wouldn't advise you try it. It didn't work for William Shatner back in the, the Twilight Zone days. So... Design means you're taking it offline. You're looking out and making big changes. This digital twin effort, if it is getting the data in one place and getting it more, more live, more precise to enable that kind of analysis, that's great. And, uh, but it is not going to just, you can't just get a design out of it. And I, I hope that's clear. If, if we get one objective yeah, so out of this, planning versus design. So let me let me so let me ask you this as, as you know as I mentioned to you off offline before we get started, you know my knowledge of digital twins I find them fascinating but my knowledge is limited I mean, I don't work in the space so I don't understand them probably as well as it should be you know but I hear a lot of people say hey you know you get the digital twin 
you, you, you tweak this, you tweak that data point, you tweak this data point, and you get what it'll what will happen. You know, but, but you don't know. That, that That's what I'm asking. Any... So, so that, it doesn't <laughs> actually work sense. like that. No, I mean that the person who told you that, I, I presume they were trying to sell you something. I mean, the fact is, you, you, if you tweak it, it's not a digital twin and, and anymore. It is a tweaked data set. You started with the data that represents your current network. And then when you make a change that, that doesn't change the data, what would change if I change the data in my twin? And let's say I make a copy of my twin. And again, we're now we're in Michael Keaton and multiplicity. You've got a copy of a copy of a copy. So I get this weird ass copy and I set this over there and I start making changes to the data. You know what happens? Nothing. Because people are confusing the data set with models that sit on top of that, making sense and relating the data to each other. There's no shortcut. If I wanna make a change and then observe the result, I must model the relationship between the inputs and the outputs. And you know we're living in a world that's sort of overcome with MLAI fever. And I love MLAI. I think it's an incredibly powerful technology and you know we're into it too, just like everybody else. But, if you take a step back and you look at it, a model is the thing that you tweak and change so you can observe what happens on the output side. Yeah. Digital twins as an effort. Put the data together, but you still got to do old-fashioned modeling. And guess what? Models are never entirely accurate. The, the truism we say is all models are wrong. Some models are useful. And it's always going to be a simplification. And, and again, this is, this is what I have to beat up on. You can't lead decision makers and executives down the road of thinking one model just does everything. Models are simplified representations of the real system. And you kind of have to know what you're, what you're going to get out of that model. So you know if I've got all the relevant data or not. These are, this is basics. This is fundamentals. So if I make a tweak based on my digital, digital twin... The models that sit on top of that, whether or not they are cause and effect, like a simulation model, or data-driven, like an ML model, it's the model itself that's then going to say, if you change that input, you get this different output. And there's no escape from the limitations of modeling technology. Because, as the, again, as the, the Monty Python boys pointed out, it's just a model. It's not reality. When we, when we think and we convince ourselves that these, these things have some kind of supernatural part or power or they're a perfect representation or a twin of the reality, we are setting ourselves up for tragedy and heartache and bad projects. Yeah. So, so people out there listening to this may be thinking, oh, he's trashing digital twins, trashing digital twins. Um, so I want to ask you this question so we can hopefully maybe clarify minds and, and maybe set people at ease, <laughs> maybe not. Um, there is value to having a digital twin of your supply chain. If you want to make a change to your supply chain though, as I understand what you're saying here is you need to go to the modeling approach. I am, I'm not trashing digital twins or digital twin technology because it's just technology. You know, okay. it doesn't do anything on its own. I absolutely trash the supply chain, quote unquote, domain experts, the technology experts who extrapolate and lead people to believe that this technology can do things that it can't. 
Okay, because okay, so they're out to I, sell you something. Right. So I think that's a great place. Great place then to, to go. So, can you explain how then, um, what role does the digital twin technology play in the design and the modeling changes that you might want to look at from a supply chain perspective? Sure, sure. That's it's. I when we look at the term digital twin. You know, people have, if you go way, way back, people have been trying to pull data from different systems and, and match it up so I can make proper cross-functional decisions. Uh, you know, the uh, making narrow siloed decisions in the supply chain basically goes back to the when it was business logistics and before that, just logistics. Supply chain's notion is integrated across functions. And that is to say, when I make a decision about inventory or warehousing, it's really related to transportation. It's related to demand and demand management. These things are all related. That's why it's a really hard problem. It, it spans functional areas. So there's been a long effort to try to pull the data relevant to decision-making and put it in one place. We love that. There was control tower technology, which was re it really had its heyday you know, let's call it 15 years ago. Uh, and it's still out there and it's continued to evolve. I think it's great. Uh, it's an acknowledgement that you've got all of these disparate uh, systems of, uh, that are out there tracking with different pieces of data. You've got your TMS, you've got your WMS, you've got demand planning. And these things may draw from different data, data sets, but you want to consolidate it all back together to see how it fits. That is where control tower technology offered a lot of promise to give you a view across all of the echelons and all the functional areas in the supply chain. When the term digital twin started to get kicked around, which, which I saw its emergence five, six, seven years ago, but it's probably even a little bit before then. To me, I viewed this as an evolutionary step. It was a, a fun way to consider what you could do with control tower technology. And it, and it but it didn't introduce any new technological breakthroughs. When, when people started using this term, let me ask you, what, what was it associated with? What changed in the technology world? And, and what changed was what we called it. It's called messaging, by the way. They just changed the message because it was a slicker way to sell it. And, and I'm, in, I'm in favor of, uh, you know, I have a product called Cosmic Frog. I'm a big fan of slick marketing, okay? But marketing that is misleading actively misleading is unethical and it's bullshit. And that is my problem with this. I love that we're doing more and put, focusing better, uh, more attention on getting better data and getting it live and getting it in the right place. But then what you're going to do that make a better decision, you're back in the, there's no escape from modeling technologies, whether or not you're talking ML or the sort of classical OR methods. We, what I hope is that the focus and the, the attention on digital twins will help companies get the feeling that um, they need to be investing to get their hands on their own data, make it live, make it accurate, and move, improve the quality. You, I'm sure you've, you've heard the tourism as well, garbage in, garbage out. If you got bad data, it doesn't matter what you do with your complicated decision-making processes, right? Bad data in, bad decisions out. If this effort and the focus sharpens up and gives executives a clean platform of data, they get, they get a better start on the decision-making. And I am 100% all for that. But I am going to be fighting all day to make fun of the idiots that are trying to mislead executives 
by throwing goofy terms out there just so that they can exploit them, close a sale, and then get out of Dodge. And that is not everybody, but there's a significant amount of shysters out there right now, and they need to be called on this. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're just about out of time, so I'll, I'll give a final thought here. But uh, I, I think I'm seeing that a lot with AI stuff these days, too. I mean, I keep yeah. hearing stories of companies that are implementing AI because, well, everybody has to have AI, and now you're hearing, well, we're going to put generative AI in and whatnot. And then the result is that they're not getting any value out of it when all said and done because – they thought they they thought that just adding AI was going to create that value, as opposed to how they were going to use the AI to create that value. Um, and and I think this conversation is kind of the same thing here, right? I mean, it's you can put a digital twin in, but I think you need to think about how you're going to utilize it, and then and what the purpose of having it is as well. And if you if the if the idea, and I think what you're saying is, if what you want to do is redesign your supply chain, then a digital twin may only just be a part of that, but it's not going to be the solution to that. It's a great first step to have great current accurate data, yeah. but it's just a first step. Yeah. So hopefully, um, hopefully some people learn some stuff about it and, and you might even have some questions or whatever. Feel free to reach out if you do. Um, great discussion, Don. Greatly appreciate your time today um, on this. That's- such a pleasure, Brian. Thank you for bringing this up. There's so much more we can jump into, um, but unfortunately, we're out of time. So a uh, special thank you to all of you out there. It took time out of your day to listen to us today. I uh, appreciate you spending time with us for Supply Chain Management Review. I'm Brian Strait. Thank you for listening. Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, supplychain247.com, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. For more information on this topic or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, a print or a digital subscription to our publication, visit scmr.com. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For Supply Chain Management Review, I'm Brian Strait, and thank you for listening.